message. Uh, this week we are, we are at week two of a four-week series, and we're dealing with the essentials, the essentials in our walk with God, which is prayer and God's Word. Today is week two of that, and we are concluding the prayer side of this uh, essential series, and next week we're going to go into the Word of God, and uh, just so you know where we're going. Uh, last week's message was entitled, Prayer Changes Everything. And if you weren't here last week, you may want to get the podcast. You can go to our website, wordoflifeag.org, and you can dig a little bit, and you will be able to find that, go along with that. I, I think it was a pretty good word. It may help you out. Today's message is entitled, Strengthen for Power. Strengthen for Power. Uh, we have a lot of ground to cover this morning, so let's get right into it. The 12 disciples. The, these disciples had a front row seat to watch and to listen to the greatest prayer that ever lived. When Jesus prayed, things happened every single time. When Jesus prayed, things happened. No one prayed like Jesus prayed. No one. Um, these young disciples knew that this is someone who had a connection with God unlike anything they've ever seen before in their lives. And one of the guys had a decision and a thought, and that was, maybe we should ask Jesus to teach us to pray. I mean, we don't see things happening for us like that happened for him. Maybe we should have Jesus teach us. Go with me to Luke chapter 11, verse 1. If you've got your, your Bibles, you can turn to that, or you can go along with the smartphone and your tablet and or the projection that's going to be behind me. So the disciple comes up to Jesus and says something like this. Luke 11, verse 1, would you teach us to pray? I'm not going to read the entire verse, but would you teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples to pray? And uh, it doesn't say this in the Bible, but I think that Jesus' response was something like this. I think it was a smile. And I, I think he probably said, I've been waiting for you to ask me. I've just been waiting for you to ask me. Why? Because prayer changes everything. Changes everything in our lives if we would get involved with that. And Jesus knew that. And immediately uh, in Luke chapter 11, verse 1, the next thing that Jesus does, he immediately begins to teach them how to pray. And he goes into verse 2. But I don't want to go there. I want to go to Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, because he goes into what's known as the Lord's Prayer. And the Lord's Prayer in Matthew is more familiar to us than it is in Luke's account. So go with me to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to begin at verse 9, and I'm going to ask the entire church, everybody, to verbally, out loud, talk this way and say this, this, the Lord's Prayer. You ready? Here we go. Right from the very beginning is projected behind me. In this manner, therefore, pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I'd like to go back to verse 9. I'd like you to take a look at this because there's something rather interesting here. Matthew's account of what Jesus said here at this particular moment, he said, in, Matthew says, Jesus said, in this manner, therefore pray. In this manner, therefore pray. Well, let me, let me just share a little bit a thought behind this because that may be a bit confusing in this manner. Maybe another way to say it would be with this pattern, pray. In this manner, pray. In this pattern, pray. Or maybe even another way to break that down a little bit more would be an outline. Jesus would be saying an outline to use in prayer is our Father. You know, you understand where I'm going with that? Understand what I'm saying? It's amazing to me that Jesus would give us a pattern to pray. 
He would give us a pattern to pray. But the truth is, is that uh, we might put this prayer or this pattern on a wall somewhere, and we might even memorize it as a prayer. And if you are a Roman Catholic or was raised a Roman Catholic, which I was, I remember the Lord's Prayer. I've known it all of my life, I think. So it's not a difficult thing to do. But most of us really don't use it as a pattern or an outline as to pray. What it is that Jesus suggests that we pray for. What Jesus teaches us that we pray for. And I believe that we need to take this seriously. And I believe we need to take it seriously because of what Jesus taught. Because we are, ladies and gentlemen, we are in a battle. We are in a war at this very moment. And the one who we are battling with according to what Jesus says, wants to steal from you and I. He wants to steal anything that God has made available to you. Listen to this. Jesus says he's out to kill you and I. And Jesus says, and he's out to destroy. He comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And what he wants to destroy is you, your family, your, your future, whatever it is that would be going on in your life. He's out to destroy you. And the master prayer in his outline to pray, says these words. Go with me back to Matthew chapter 6, verse 13. Listen to what Jesus says. And he says this, and he says, uh, and, and do not lead us into temptation, but listen to this, but deliver us from the evil one. But deliver us from the evil one. Now, mind you, this is Jesus' final petition of the Father. He's gone through the outline of what to pray, and he's now at the conclusion of this, and he says, this final petition that, that you would deliver us from the evil one. That God would strengthen us for power. That he would strengthen us for power to deliver us from the evil one, the devil. Come on, give me an amen to that. That he would strengthen us with power. Actually, Jesus brings front and center a dimension of prayer that probably a lot of people, and maybe even many within this room right now, a lot of people really are not very comfortable with at all. And it's called spiritual warfare. Now, I've spoken on spiritual warfare many times. Some of the stuff you're going to hear, you've heard before, if you've been attending here for any length of time. But spiritual warfare is dealing with evil versus good. Light versus the darkness. Life uh, versus death. Uh, and, and honestly, uh, there's probably a lot of people who consider that kind of praying, dealing with spiritual warfare, as being a radical kind of prayer. And honest, honestly, uh, there really needs to be a balance in dealing with the spirit realm, dealing with demons and devils and dealing with Satan and Lucifer himself, all that ugly stuff that you see within the Word of God. There really does need to be a balance, and I don't mind talking a little bit about the balance as well in all of this. You will find some churches that are so focused on devils and demons that everywhere they turn, behind every bush, under every, every rock, there would be a, a demon. Uh, if something bad happens to them, their response is always the same. It's Satan. It's Satan that did that to me. What's wrong, man? What's wrong with you? Well, I think the devil tricked me and I'm out of gas. I'm sitting here with no gas in my car. I think the devil did that. Well, I don't think it was the devil. I don't... I think you didn't even look at your gas gauge today. I think that that's what happened. You can't blame the devil. You see, that's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about that people just have that thought that when something bad happens, no matter what it is, it's always the devil. And then the other extreme would be, it is uh, it, to some churches and some people, is that it is totally underemphasized. It's downplayed continuously, the spirit world. 
And if the stats are accurate, the most recent stats say that some 60%, give or take, some 60% of you that are here today, you don't believe this. You do not believe that there is a real devil, that there, is a, there are real demons, and that there is a real spiritual war that is taking place. In your mind, as you read this in the scriptures, your thought process is, is that, that this is just a metaphor, this is just a symbol within the word of God. In fact, with some people, their hope is, if I don't talk about it, if I don't believe in it, then it doesn't exist. But it doesn't happen that way. And I think you'll understand why as we move further along. Believer, none of the above who don't believe is in keeping with the Bible, is in keeping with, with the Old Testament or the New Testament. Because the devil is a real being, and he is a force that needs to be reckoned with. Give me an amen. In Ephesians chapter 10, or Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, if you would go with me there. Ephesians chapter 6. How can you not eat and burp and all that other stuff when you got no food in your belly? I, don't, I burp all the time while I'm fasting. So if I start burping, you know I'm just it's a fast reaction, okay? Anyhow, isn't that exciting? Okay, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Here's what the Apostle Paul says. And he says it like that. He says this. He says, uh, finally, uh, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Now, in my opinion, in my thought behind all of this, I don't think that that's how the Apostle Paul said it. As we, as we begin to dig into this, I hope you get to see where I'm going with all of this. But I believe if the Apostle Paul was in this room right now and he was here with us today, and he knew that he had this crowd to be able to speak to, to share about spiritual warfare. I think that the way that Paul probably had said it would be something like this. He would say, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. He would have that kind of an emphasis. The reason why he would do that is because he understands, Paul understands, that this is a real battle. This is a real thing. It could cost you your life. It could cost people their eternity. And you and I are not strong enough, we're not smart enough to be able to win this battle in and of our own power. And he continues on, he says in verse 11, he says, put on the full armor of God so that you, you take your stand against the devil's schemes. You would take your stand against the devil's schemes. Now the Bible tells us who and what it is that we as Christ followers are really fighting against. We really are fighting against hell. We really fight, are fighting against darkness and the evil one himself. And when you read verse 11, when, and I'm going to read it to you again, it, it's, almost like, it's almost like it sounds like Paul has this assumption of you and I, of all of us. Let me read it to you again in verse 11. He says these words. He says, put on the full armor of God. Listen, so that you can stand, you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. You can take your stand against the devil's uh, schemes. In other words, Paul is saying it like this to you and I. He's saying, you know the devil's schemes. He's saying, you are aware of his tactics. He's, he's, it's like he's declaring that you already have this. And, and you and I are standing against those schemes. And the assumption that I see within this is that you and I are already understanding about the devil's schemes and the tactics and the warfare that he comes against us. And if that be true to you and for you, let me pose a question to you then. And you don't need to give me a verbal response. But my question is, do you understand? Do you understand the devil's schemes that are against you in your life right now? Do you understand that? As a believer and a follower, do you understand 
what it is the devil would try to do. Let me be a little bit more specific because maybe this would bring greater clarity with where I'm going. Do you understand what's going on in your marriage right now? Do you understand what's going on? How the enemy um, may be coming up with his plans and his tactics to cause your marriage to take a big hit. However that may be, take a big hit and maybe even fail. And then to make it even more complicated, are you understanding that when that happens, that just maybe, and more than likely, the enemy will then attack your children and they would begin to think negatively about you and about your God and who it is that, that you're following and maybe even cause them to walk away from God. I don't want to see a show of hands, but there's probably a few here in this room who have gone through experiences where you say, well, if this is the way God is, the way my parents have said and done, I want nothing to do with it. If this is the way it's going to be, I want nothing to do with it. And if you say, yes, I can understand the assault. I do see this devil schemes. I do realize that there is a work of darkness happening. My next question to you then would be, so what are you doing about it? So if you know that there is a devil and that the devil is assaulting and attacking you, what are you doing about what he's doing? Because the truth be told, many if not most within the church, I say again, many if not most within the church don't know about the devil's schemes. They don't know. Not because they're dumb or stupid, it's just because they're ignorant. They don't know. They're not searching. They're not understanding what the Bible has to say. Many believers do little or no spiritual warfare whatsoever. Don't want to know. Don't tell me. When's the last time you've done spiritual warfare? You want to know for me? At 10 minutes after 8 this morning, I did spiritual warfare in my office, knowing as I was coming into this message, I was under attack, and I knew that the enemy was going to do everything. And it was a, the first service was a little bit of a challenge for me, but I got through it, and God gave us the victory. And I want to know, don't tell me, don't tell me why or when, but when's the last time you did spiritual warfare? Because many believers do little or no spiritual warfare whatsoever. Yet Jesus told us to pray the prayer. And the prayer is in the outline as to how to pray. You, wanna, you want miracles? You want to see uh, God move in me, uh, move in you like he's moving in me? What Jesus is saying? Then pray this way. Begin to pray like this. Let this be your, pray in this manner is what he would say. And the manner was is that Father deliver us from the evil one. And the bottom line of that prayer request means we are to do spiritual warfare. As a believer and a follower of Jesus, my friend, you may not want to hear it. It may be a little bit uncomfortable for you, but we are to do spiritual warfare. As a follower of Jesus, we need to understand that there is a force of darkness that works against us. And if you're not doing what, what you were told to do and following what Jesus said, then, then you can only expect that probably the de devil is going to gain some ground in our lives, in our family, in our finances, whatever that may be. Go with me to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. And Paul goes on to say, he says, now, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. In other words, what Paul is saying, the assaults, the problems that we deal with daily, multiple times a day, Paul says, here's what Paul says, he says, it's not simply human beings that you're dealing with. Because one of the things the enemy does is that he uses people. He will use your ex. He will use your neighbor. He will use your boss. He will use your pastor. <laughs> no, thank you you didn't say amen. Uh, uh, he will use different people that will cause you and I to be angry and frustrated and, and deal with all of that. Paul says it's not simply human beings. It's not just flesh and blood. And by the way, 
these assaults and these problems happen to both the believer and the non-believer alike. It happens to both. And what's clear here within the scripture is, is that there is another realm that, is, in, that uh, is, is involved in our world. And you not only need to know that there is another realm, a spirit realm, but you and I need to know how to deal with that spirit world. We need to understand how to deal with this. There's another world that runs parallel with our world. I've shared this with you many times in my years. Another world that runs parallel with our world, uh, that is the spirit world. And in that spirit world is both good and as well as evil. We'll talk more about that in just a few moments. But it is an unseen reality to the natural eye, but even more uh, real than what this world is. More real than this world right here. Because this world right here is only temporary. The spirit world will last forever. This world will come to an end, the Bible tells us. We don't know exactly when. Someday it's going to happen. Maybe it's going to be soon. Maybe it's not going to be as soon as some of us think. But the Word of God declares, we know this much, is that God is going to ultimately create a new heaven and a new earth, and that's going to happen sometime. The Bible has much to say about that subject, but I'm not going to deal with that right now. I'm not going to go down that rabbit trail. Go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 and 4. Hang with me. A lot to cover, a lot to talk about. Holy God, I ask you to give us a mind to retain and to receive and to change our hearts. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 and 4. For though we walk in the flesh, Paul says, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. This is just an amazing verse. There is so much to this. I'm going to skim the surface with some of these things. So when you... If you would take uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, which is what I just read to you, if you would take 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and then couple that with Ephesians chapter 6, the Bible is making it explicitly clear. It's very clear to every one of us that as, as, uh, as much as there is a God who created this world, this life that we're living in right now, there is another world. There is another world, and it's the spirit world, and it runs parallel to this world. And the Bible uh, is making it crystal clear that there is a war that's going on. It is the kingdom of light versus the kingdom of darkness. And when you go back to uh, Ephesians chapter 6, and you don't need to go there, but if you were to go back to Ephesians chapter 6, you're going to see how they talk about on that evil side that there's an authority structure that's there. There is an authority structure. We're going to talk about, about that in a moment here. And on the, the dark side of that spirit world, there is an authority structure that is in place right now. And the reason for that structure is because of the battle that they're in against God, against the angels and all the, 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 uh, uh, the believers and followers of Jesus. There is a work that they're trying to accomplish. Go with me to Ephesians, again, chapter 6. We're hanging here for a moment. Ephesians 6, 12 also talks about those principalities, those powers, those rulers of darkness, the spiritual host of wickedness. Uh, it's a reality, folks. It really is. We can't see it. We probably don't understand it. We want to resist it a little bit. But the Bible is making clear to us some of these, these things. Paul tells us this world is a reality and there is a war taking place. Ephesians 6, 13. Therefore, put on the full armor of God. That you, that, so that when the day of evil comes, let me say it again, let me start there again. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand. 
I want you to take special notice of what Paul says here. I'm going to read a portion of this to you again. And he says this. He says in verse 1, uh, verse 13, at, toward the beginning, he says, so that when the day of evil comes. Paul says specifically, so that when the day of evil comes. He didn't say if the day of evil comes. For the believer, for the follower, for the people of this world, there is the day of evil that is going to come. Listen, church, the day of evil is going to come. It will continue to come. It's going to come because there's sin in this world and we're following, the world is following after sin and we as believers often follow after sin and there's a day of evil that's going to come. You will deal with that and if you don't think that you've experienced anything that evil yet, trust me, it's going to come your way and thank God, thank God that he has told, uh, told us that these things will happen. He has given us the truth. And listen, this isn't a game. I'm not talking about a game. God's not playing around with us in this thing you need to listen you need to understand and again i'm going to go here and the fact is is that i know that there are some who are dismissing everything that i'm talking about right now you've got turned off and you're looking at this and you're looking at that and you're thinking about this that you're reading in front of your eyes right now and i'm saying um, that it's a real fact and it's a matter it's going to happen we are in the midst of a battle and i really do feel sorry for you if you're dismissing this and unfortunately you are of all people most deceived according to what the Bible says so I want to say it again this isn't a game I'm not talking about a game this is a reality this is the way that it is and the forces of hell are out to destroy life your life your family people that you know and love people that are involved with our lives he's out to destroy life and Jesus says that's the way the devil works he comes to steal to kill and to destroy and in verse 13 of that uh, each of the armor pieces that he talks about there he tells us to put on that armor of God. Each of those pieces uh, of that armor uh, lets us know about the areas of our vulnerability. It has that there. The, the armor is there because of our vulnerability that we have in warfare. <clears throat> and it'll be more about that in just a couple of moments as well. You see, there really is an unseen world that runs parallel to our world. So what you can see with your eyes is not all that there is. I say it again. There is a real spirit world out there. And what you can see with your eyes is not all that there really is. Oh, I know that there are some right now who are, who are looking around the room and they see a tall, dark, handsome, bald-headed man. And you're just wondering, where did he get his good looks from? And I've asked Tony Pompo, where did you get your good looks from? Because I can't figure it out. You see, Tony and I are in a bit of a competition. Who's the best-looking, bald-headed man at Word of Life? And... So far, he's winning, but I'm going to try to beat him someday. Anyhow, going back to the, the, to the story, I needed a break from the spiritual warfare. Just give me an amen to the break. All right, good. But the reality is, is that there is a whole lot more going on around us than, me, than what meets the eye. And it's a very real spirit world. There is a spirit world all around us at this moment. And in that spirit world, there's a battle that's raging. Again, it's good that versus evil, light that versus darkness, life that versus death, God that versus the devil. And that spirit world influences our physical world continuously, 24-7. I say it again, that spirit world influences our world continuously. I've shared this story before, I shared it the, years ago, but I, I want to share it with you quick because I think it's uh, applicable to what I'm talking about. Uh, back in 2000, Brian Heimer, who was my youth pastor at the time, Brian Heimer and Josh Chiz, my nephew, 
uh, was my associate pastor at the time. We went to uh, uh, Louisiana, Baton Rouge, um, Louisiana for a conference. And uh, it was a life group concert conference. And uh, Brian had been to uh, New Orleans a few times. And he asked, would you guys like to go to New Orleans? I know a little bit about it and I can take it around. And we said, sure, let's go there. We had some time, so we did. We jumped in the car, went to New Orleans. Never been there before in my life. And uh, we decided that as we were on our way that we wanted to walk Bourbon Street. Most everybody knows Bourbon Street and what goes on in Bourbon, Bourbon Street certain times of the year. And uh, so we decided, yeah, let's go check it out. It's a, I don't know how long it is. It's about four blocks long, I'm going to say. Maybe it's a mile long. I don't know how long it is. And um, so we got there. We found it. We're driving through. It, it's just a regular day. It's like a Monday or a Thursday. I don't know what day it was. And uh, there was a parking spot just before the street, just before Bourbon Street. So we parked there, and I, we got out of the car. Brian was driving. Got out of the car. I'm not exaggerating what I'm telling you. This is not just trying to butter up the message a little bit. It's a reality. Uh, we got out of the car, and when I, I, I realized now, when I put my foot on Bourbon Street, immediately I got sick to my stomach. I, I, had, I had a nauseousness. I, I felt sick, and I just stood there for a moment. Where, where did that come from? Because I hadn't eaten yet. We were going to eat a bunch of food down there in, in, uh, on Bourbon Street. And so they started walking, and of course, I didn't want to act like a crybaby, so I didn't say anything to anybody, but I was getting sicker and sicker. Is that a right word to use, sicker and sicker? I know we have some medical professionals here. Uh, I got more nauseous. And uh, so we kept on walking. Finally, I told the guys, I said, listen, guys, man, I I'm really sick. I'm really sick to my stomach. I'm not feeling good. You know, I need a bathroom. I need something. And so uh, we finally we walked almost the whole thing, and it was terrible for me. And we started back. Again, I'm not kidding you. Um, when we came back, we got to the car, and as soon as my last foot walked off on Bourbon Street, immediately I wasn't sick anymore. I felt normal. I go, holy cow, I feel good. I'm ready to go to eat, but I didn't want to go down Bourbon Street because I didn't know if I'd get sick again. You know, nor did I try this, Bourbon Street, bleh, good street, I feel good, you know. But I realized after the whole thing was done is that something happened. And, and it goes back to what I just said here a moment ago. And that is that the spirit world influences our physical world continuously 24-7. And I don't understand all the whys and wherefore, but we know there's a lot of sin there. We know there's a lot of issues, probably an awful lot of demonic activity that would cause me in that particular day. I wasn't looking for it. I wasn't expecting it to happen. For some of us who are here today, the good news for you is those of you who are in the midst of a struggle or a challenge, or if you're sick to your stomach, remember, uh, you're not alone in your battle. You and I are not alone in our battle. Um, and, and the story that I find in 2 Kings chapter 6, it proves that to be true. Israel is at war with King Aram. And the, the uh, servant of the prophet Elijah, he got up early one morning and decided to just step out on the porch, take a look around. And as he does, as he goes outside that morning, there was this huge army <clears throat> with horses and chariots and thousands of, of soldiers, warriors, uh, around the entire city. There were thousands of them, and it was literal. They, he literally saw that. The servant immediately would be filled with fears, with fear. His eyes would pop out of, their, out of his head. I, I put that in, it's not in the Bible. And uh, the servant was filled with fear, and he goes immediately to Elisha. And he says to Elijah, Elisha, my Lord, what do we do about this? What do we do? Uh, we are outnumbered. We're outmatched. Uh, we're dead meat. They're everywhere. What do we do about this? And Elijah, in, in 2 Kings chapter 6, beginning with verse 16, says, Do not be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. 
And Elijah prayed, open, the, uh, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked, and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. In other words, God gave that servant a glimpse into the spirit world that we're talking about, into that spirit world. And what he saw was greater and, and uh, bigger and stronger and more powerful than any of the army of, of the army of Aram. So listen to me, listen to me. That, that very same reality, that truth that we just dealt with is the same for each and every one of us here today. Every time you and I face a struggle, every time you and I have a challenge or a difficulty coming our way, as long as you're doing spiritual warfare, as long as, as you're walking in faith and as long as you're walking in prayer and the word of God and obedience to God, be assured, no matter what's going on around you, that those who are with us are more than those who are with them. God has made a way for you and I. There will always be, uh, to the, difficult to see with the natural eye, but there will always be those who are more with us than those who are against us. Give me an amen. amen. So let's talk about spiritual warfare. I have four points that I want to go through, and I'm going to get through them very quickly. Four different points. Number one, point number one is warfare prayer. Warfare prayer has to be in the right spirit. Warfare prayer has to be in the right spirit. Go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 and 2. By the humility and the gentleness of Christ, this is Paul speaking, I appeal to you. I, Paul, who am tim timid when face to face with you, but bold toward you when I'm away. I beg you that, that when I come that I may not have to be as bold as I, expect to, as I expect to be towards some people who think that we are to live by the standards of this world. The Apostle Paul is, is throwing these people into a tiz with what he is saying. Really what he's talking about is this. When we, have, when we go into spiritual warfare, often when we go into prayer, it's because of a problem. It's because of something that's going on. Maybe somebody has frustrated you. Maybe there's bad news that came your way through whoever. And what the Apostle Paul is saying to each and every one of us as we go into uh, prayer, he's saying that when you go into prayer, have an understanding that you and I are not to fight like the world fights. In other words, when things don't go your way, uh, something's going on with one of your kids or something's going on at work or something's going on at school, we are not to respond in the way that the world responds. We are to be different as followers of Jesus. And that's what Paul is saying. He says, I got to the point where I'd have to get really bold and really angry because some of you are following the world rather than God. And he was saying, I'd rather be timid. I'd rather approach this in a way that we don't, we don't have to deal with this. And, you know, some people would sit back and think, you know, that doesn't sound like spiritual warfare, though. What do you mean coming at this timid? What do you mean not to, to raise your voice and get a little upset at times with individuals? You know, I'm an American, and I have a right to get angry if I want. And, I, and I'm, a, I'm entitled to whatever I want to do. And, and I like to sue people as quick as I can so I can get angry. Listen, man, you're doing nothing but what the world does. We're, we're to be different than what the world does. God's ways of dealing with these things is with meekness. Meekness. Meekness is an attitude of, of uh, humble submission and trust in God with a loving, patient, gentle attitude toward others. And some would think, again, man, that, that just doesn't sound like warfare to me. But that's the way that God, God's attitude is when he's using, when he's going into spiritual warfare. Do you know why God can take a, an approach of meekness? Because he's God. 
As he's dealing with issues, as he's dealing with things, and God is saying, what I do, I want you to do. I want you to be like me. And so the reason why God does these things is because he's God. No matter what the situation is, no matter what, be may, what may be happening that would be new to you and even new to God, he's got this one. He's got it. He has it because he is God, and there's none like him. With the spiritual warfare, when stuff is beginning to go on, um, we're not to be mad at people. We're not to be a people who are mad at people. You, you've got to understand that it's not about people, no matter who they are, no matter what may be going on with whoever they may be in your life. This is not about people because God loves people. God is for people. He's not mad. He loves them relentlessly. He really does. Come on, give me an amen to that. You're awful quiet this morning and you're scaring me. I shared this story a number of years ago and I want to share it with you again. Another thing I think is pertinent. Years ago, years ago, a woman in our church approached me and told me that her brother is dying. He's in his early 30s, would you, would you pastor mind talking to him before he passes? And I said, of course I would. And she said, he's a homosexual and he's dying of AIDS and he is near death. And uh, I said, sure, give him my number and have him call me sometime and, because I don't know what's going on with him and I couldn't call him. And so um, I, I forget what I, was, what I was doing, but I know I was busy and I know I was in a hurry and the phone rang and I looked at the phone and I didn't know the number and I don't know what you do, but normally I just hit the button so that it would go to voicemail and I'll talk to them later. And, and, but then I had to check, well, maybe this is him. And so, excuse me, so I decided I burped again. And uh, so... <laughs> So I decided, you know what, I, I, I better answer this, and I did, and it was him. And he was in the hospital when he called me, and he was in the very last stages of his, of his life. And he's crying on the other end of the phone. He's crying. And I'm not going to tell you everything that we talked about, but he did say things like this. Pastor, I'm a sinful man. I'm a very sinful man. I lived a sinful life, and now I'm about to die. And because of my sin, my body is wrecked with a disease that they have no cure for. And when I die, I don't know where I'm going. I don't know what to expect next. I don't know what to do. Would you help me? Would you please, would you please help me? And at that moment, I realized that what Randy Chiz so selfishly was thinking of, you know, my, my agenda with what I'm doing right now is pretty important. I don't know if I should answer the, the call, but thank God the Spirit of the Lord whispered, and I did, and was able to talk to this guy. And I realized very quickly at that moment that this is way more important than anything that Randy Chiz would have to do in that particular, in that particular time. As we began to talk, he assured me that, yes, I, yes, I will believe, and I do trust that Jesus went on the cross for me and, and that I need to repent of my sin. And so we talked, we talked over an hour on the phone together. Never met the guy, never shook his hand in my life. And, and uh, he started seeking forgiveness as never before, and needless to say, we prayed. I led him in a saving knowledge of Jesus' prayer. And church, listen, he got saved that day. His sins were forgiven him. And I want to let you know, I'm talking about homosexuality here. And I don't know what some of your thoughts are, but I'm going to tell you what my thoughts are about homosexuality. That sin is as sinful as drunkenness, as gossip, as lying. That sin is as, as sinful as premarital sex involving ourselves. And I know that that's the way the world does it, but I don't care what the world does. The Bible says we shouldn't have premarital sex. And, and uh, any other sin that you would find in the, in the word of God. And homosexuality is not a greater sin than all the rest of them. 
And this man needed Jesus, and he was finding Jesus that particular day, the last hours of his life, he was finding Jesus. And I had the privilege, I had the privilege to do, to uh, lead this guy to, into the saving knowledge of Jesus, and he got born again. If he was there, if I would have hugged him and told him I loved him, even though I didn't know the guy. I mean, I just, it was a, it was a God moment. Within two days, I got word that he had passed. Never expecting it, but they asked me if I would do the funeral, and I was privileged to do the funeral. For whatever the reason was, we went into a Methodist church and did that, and man, that place was packed out with people, family and friends. It was packed out, and I had nothing to say about the guy because all I knew was the phone call about him. Everything happened so very quickly, and all I could think of was to share with them the phone call that we made, and I shared a lot of the things that this guy talked to me about because this was immediate family and a lot of close friends that were there. The response was overwhelming. It was wonderful. So God not only had a plan for this young man to come to know Jesus in his final moments of life, but for all of his family and all of his friends to have the same exact experience. Listen, I'm not a pastor who condones any kind of sin, no matter what it is, and certainly not homosexuality. In fact, I don't even condone any sin that I commit. When I commit sin, it's wrong. I don't condone it. It's not okay. There's not a good enough excuse for me to do that and for you to do that as well. Give me an amen. amen. But the fact of the matter is this is a person. This is an individual. It's a man that God desperately loved. Jesus came into this world for him. And he's come into this world for you and for me. Remember, as I said a moment ago, this is not about people. This, this thing that we're dealing with, whatever it may be, as long as you're in a battle and it's with people, you're never going to really win. You're not going to win by the order of God. You're just not going to win. You're going to lose one way or another. You're going to lose something if all your focus is is people and not really where it needs to be as to who it is that's bringing this torment in our lives. We need to open our eyes and see that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of darkness. You and I have an enemy, the Bible says, and his name is Satan. His name is Lucifer. He is the devil. People are not your issue. Do not be mad at, at people. So Paul says in Ephesians 6, uh, 11, he says, put on the full armor of God. All the armor deals with the character of, a, of that warrior. In other words, known as the armor. It talks about truth, righteousness, peace, faith, and salvation. Those things. He says we're to put on the belt of truth. We are to put on the breastplate of righteousness. We are to shot our feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. We are to shield, uh, put on the shield, take up the shield of faith and the salvation, the helmet of our salvation. And there's only one weapon that is used in offense, and that is the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And I know that when we fight, we, when we're going into warfare, we think that we fight. We think it's fist, and we think it's pushing, and shooting and killing people, but that's not it at all. It really is not that at all. For spiritual warfare, what we need first is a godly character. We need to understand that who we are, we are representing God himself, and once we understand that, then we're ready for the warfare. Isaiah 55, Isaiah says, his ways are higher and smarter and wiser than our ways, and we need to do it his way. Number two, number two is warfare prayer. Gets, I go quicker through the rest of these. Warfare prayer fights with the right weapons. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4. Fights with the right weapons. He says these words, Paul says, he says, the weapons that we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. To demolish strongholds. Obviously, it's not fist fights. It's not being angry, using harsh words. It's not with guns or knives or the weaponry of our in, incredible military. 
Instead, it's, the Bible tells us that we are to use four weapons. I say them to you quickly. Number one is the word of God. The weapon we use in spiritual warfare is the word of God. The Bible says that specifically. I just read it to you. The spoken word of God is even used in spiritual warfare. Um, we respond to the assaults and the insults that come our way by using and saying and speaking and declaring the word of God. And in fact, that's exactly what Jesus did. When Jesus was tempted and he was in the desert, when the devil tempted him and began to bring accusations against him, the devil said to him, he said, take those stones and make it into the Columbus Bakery kind of bread. I think you'll really enjoy it. And Jesus, most of us know that Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, Columbus bread. And maybe he stuttered a little bit right there, but he continued on. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Jesus used... Um, Jesus used um, the word of God for spiritual warfare. Number two is worship. The praises of God is a weapon of warfare. That's right, the praises of God. If you're in the midst of a battle, sometimes you just need to sing a song. Sometimes you just might need to worship God. Uh, Jehoshaphat, in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, had appointed men to, uh, to sing as they would go into the battle against the Amorites and the Moabites. The lyrics of the song was, Give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. So that you know, God set up an ambush against those Amorites and those Moabites, and they were completely, totally defeated by the choir, by the singers who went into that. Before even the army got there, all the bad people were dead. Give an amen to that. Number three, the name of Jesus. Philippians chapter 2 says, the name of Jesus is above every name and every title. Jesus has been exalted to the highest place. The Bible says, his name is above all names. <clears throat> his name is above all names. So you and I are to use that name. So use the name of Jesus when you're dealing with doubt and fear and sickness. Use the name of Jesus when you're dealing with sickness and addictions. Use the name of Jesus when you're dealing with a son or a daughter, a brother or a sister, a spouse, whoever it may be, that is in rebellion or, or bankruptcy or depression or divorce. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray, is how you would do that. Number four is uh, the blood of Jesus, the cross, the cross of Jesus, where his shed blood was spilled. It says in Revelation 12, 11, and they overcame him, overcame the devil by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony and loved not their lives even to death. I, I prayed this prayer every single day. I say that scripture, Revelation 12, 11, every single day. Why? Because I'm in spiritual warfare a lot. I know you are too, but I'm in spiritual warfare. And if there's a way for me to have victory, I will use one of these four things or multiple of them in a given day. You and I are to pray this every day. Number three is warfare prayer understands the real battle. Warfare prayer understands the real battle. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 4 says these words. The weapons of our warfare, uh, excuse me, the weapons that we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Uh, what we are to zero in on, according to the scripture, what we are to zero in on is knowing and understanding what the real battle is. Whatever it is you're dealing with, whatever the angst is, whatever the issue is with him and with her or with this or with that, you need to understand what the real battle is. And since we deal with people most of the time, that's how the enemy works against us. The first thing that we're to do is to zero in and understand the real battle. And the real battle is strongholds. It is strongholds. It is not a person. It's not your boss. It's not a bad neighbor. Actually, it's a stronghold. The Greek word there, and I'm not a scholar in Greek by any stretch of the imagination, so I know I'm saying it wrong, but the Greek word is ukaroma. 
Ukaroma, which means a prisoner who is locked by deception. In other words, he's sitting in a cell and the door is open and he doesn't even realize it. He doesn't even realize it. Uh, um, um, or someone who is living uh, by something that is not true. It's a stronghold. Listen, people carry around all kinds of stuff in their mind, in their heart, in their soul, and in their spirit that is based on a lie. Based on a lie. And that stronghold stays with that person like a ball and chain around their ankle. And it is the God of heaven. It is the God of heaven who wants people to be free of those kind of things. That's what the stronghold is, and that's what God wants to do. Let me give you very quickly the strongholds that the devil will use. He will use sin. In particular, unrepented sin. If you're someone in this room and you've sinned, that's one thing. But, uh, uh, and you've repented, that's one thing. But if you have not repented of your sin, you need to make a decision to leave your life of sin. You need to repent. It doesn't mean you say you're sorry. You're going to go in a different direction. You're going to go in a different direction. Leave your life of sin. Number two is in negative words. If you let words land on you, if somebody says something about you, something about your look, something about... Those kind of words, they can mess you up. The power of negative words can suck the life right out of you. You need to understand that's one of the weapons that the enemy uses. Another thing is unhealthy relationships. Being involved with the wrong people at the right time and the wrong time. Becoming deeply intimate with people before you should. I know this is the way the world does it. I understand this very uh, clearly. But yet the fact of the matter is you're not supposed to be following the world. You're supposed to be following the word. And so therefore, I challenge you not to do what the world offers you to do. The last area is shame. It is shame. Those who are haunted by their past, the things that you said, the things that you did, the decisions that you made. Shame is one of the things the enemy will constantly assault you and I. And yet God wants us to be free. He wants us to be free of the stronghold. My last and final point is warfare. Warfare prayer has the right focus. Warfare prayer has the right focus. 2 Corinthians 10, 5 says these words, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought, every thought to make it obedient to Christ. It understands that right focus understands the reason why we even engage in battle. There's a reason why God calls us to do this. There's a reason behind the battle. There's a reason why we are doing it. And we got to get to the place where we understand this personally, individually, as well as corporately as a church. The reason why you and I are in a battle like we're in and there's spiritual warfare is because there's sin. Because of sin, it's sin that has caused all the, the, the chaos and the upheaval that we deal with on a daily basis. Listen, we here at Word of Life, we do not believe there's a demon under every rock. And yes, there is a real battle. But there's no need for you and I to be fearful of anything of the battle. So we need to stand in our faith and to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might, as Paul says. We need to come with a confidence, with meekness and gentleness as we go toward this warfare. We need to have a right spirit with right weapons that we're going to be using. Those things, that four things that I told you. The addressing, the, uh, to be addressing the real enemy and identify the strongholds that really you need to focus in on. You need to pray most effectively for that area of that person's life or of your life. And then comes the right focus. And really the right focus. It's about all of them who are out there. 
All of them, the young and the old, the weak and the strong, the weak and the poor. Listen to what last scripture, what Paul says, 2 Corinthians 4, 4. The God of this age hath blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Paul is telling us it's the devil that keeps people in bondage. And we need to have that focus and understand these people need Jesus. The only way you and I will be free of the assaults of hell comes through Jesus himself. So you know, we are here. Word of life is here. You and I are here to rescue people. You and I are here to help people to find freedom, to help people to find joy and peace, to help people to find hope, to find Jesus. That's why we're here, so that their sins would be forgiven and that they themselves would be able to make a difference in other people as we ourselves try to do. So whenever you have the right spirit, the meekness, the gentleness, the right weapons, and you know what the battle is about, the focus doesn't end up here. It's not about having a good church. I go to that church because it's a good church and I feel good when I leave. Don't come to church here if that's what you want to do. If that's your goal, that's not what we want. We want you to have others in mind. We want you to care about others and to realize that your family, your friends, whoever they may be, are dealing with real issues and you have an answer. And the answer is Jesus Christ. Come on, give me an amen. Would you stand with me to your feet, please, every one of you? We're not the focus about us. It's about the unchurched. It's about the irreligious. It's about kids who are on drugs, adults who are on drugs and alcohol. It's about the families down the street that's in trouble. It's about those who are confused and broken in heart and in mind. That's our focus. Doing what God has called us to do as the church. Being victorious and triumphant. As God has in store. We're going to sing our final song. And as we do, before you leave, please, as we sing this song, if you would like prayer for anything, we have people, intercessors, please come. I don't know how many we have. And if there's extra intercessors, please come on down and help us. Um, we're going to invite you to come and pray. For any of these intercessors, we'd love to pray with you right now. If there's a need in your life, you don't have to tell them anything that you don't want to tell them, but they want to pray for you. So while the song is being done, we invite you to, to get out of your seat and come down and be prayed for, and then I will close off this service. Go ahead.